Hi, this is Jason Cascarino. Welcome to the third season of the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, a production of the Remaking Middle School Initiative. You can learn about Remaking Middle School on the web at remakingmiddleschool.org. Now, here's this episode. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, where we explore the many facets that impact young adolescents in the middle school years, from the adverse to the awkward to the awesome. I'm your host, Jason Cascarino. Today, we have part one of my conversation with Rob Winstead and Maria Beninsky from VMDO, a 45-year-old architectural firm headquartered in Charlottesville, Virginia. Rob is principal and K-12 studio leader for VMDO, and Maria is an associate architect. VMDO has built a long track record of leading-edge design in learning spaces, K-12 schools, higher education institutions, and community recreational buildings. The firm stands out in its use of research science to create learning spaces that are attuned to the learning and development of students. Physical space can be an especially powerful influencer of educational engagement and performance, as well as positive development for young adolescents in the middle grades. I think another thing that we're trying to do, again, in this uh, time when students are trying to find themselves, um, is really put learning on display and, and create opportunities for uh, exposure uh, to career pathways, to learning opportunities, right? In a lot of schools, you've got corridors and you've got classrooms and there's a door in between and there might be a little skinny piece of glass where you can peek in there. Uh, but we're really trying to put learning on display and uh, create um, opportunities for students to discover things that they may not know or understand. So, you know, opening up that music classroom so students can see all those cool instruments that are there or that STEM or robotics space where students might discover, wow, that looks really interesting. I might want to explore that opportunity. Here in part one of our conversation, Rob, Maria and I talk about the beginnings of EMDO the firm's approach to designing physical space to support the learning and development as well as the health and wellness of youth and young adolescents in particular, using developmental science and extensive stakeholder engagement as foundational guides. Then in part two of our conversation, we talk about how VMDO works in partnership with educators, students, and communities to design learning spaces, what financial resources are required for these projects and how to think about managing those costs over time and how VMDO engages in research collaborations to contribute to the overall knowledge base in this area overlapping architecture and education. Part two will be released next week. Now, here's part one of my conversation with Rob Winstead and Maria Benitsky. Rob, Maria, welcome to the podcast. I'm delighted to get the chance to talk with you. Thanks, Jason. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Really flattered to be here. When I was a young adolescent, I wanted to be an architect. And I guess part of me wishes I was one today. I, I always felt like it was the perfect left brain, right brain profession. You know, lots of technical know-how combined with creativity and artistry. So I'm really excited to talk with a pair of architects here on the podcast um, about young adolescent learning and development and why the design of physical space is an essential ingredient in that. Uh, before we get into all of that, let's get to know you a little bit, if we can. Rob, I'll start with you. You are a principal and K-12 studio leader at VMDO, and we'll get into VMDO's work more extensively in a moment. But for now, 
you were an accomplished architect, more than 25 years in the profession, trained at Harvard, which is consistently ranked as one of the top architecture programs in the country for a long time. You're on the speaking circuit. You've won heaps of awards, including for your contributions in the design of learning spaces. What was your inspiration for becoming an architect? I'm definitely one of those uh, rare kids who knew what I wanted to be uh, very early in life. And um, in the fourth grade, I was designing houses for my mom. And, um, you know, it was it was early on in my in my life. And I just stayed with that path. And as I've raised my own kids, I've realized how how rare that is. Uh, there are a few influences for me that I think are really critical to uh, my career, but also this discussion. One, uh, my father was stationed in Europe uh, at a really formative time in my life, uh, third grade through sixth grade. And my parents were wonderful about uh, creating experiences and travel opportunities for us. And so I got to see many of the great cities and buildings of the world as a, as a young person. And I think that's a huge part of the reason why I have a passion for architecture uh, and design. And then uh, when I wasn't doing that, uh, my parents gave me a lot of free reign to explore in the woods of Northern Virginia. And uh, my mom was a complete freak about the Smithsonian and we spent lots and lots of time there. And I can still remember uh, my favorite was the Natural History Museum, and I can still remember walking into that atrium and the smell of the elephant and the sound that it made. And, and I think that opportunity for self-directed learning early in my life and play with the new, loose parts of nature and just be, you know, inspired and awestruck by the natural world. I think that is a big part of why I'm a, you know, environmentalist and an advocate for sustainability uh, now. Uh, and then I come from a family of educators. Maria, you are an associate with VMDO. You are a graduate of the University of Virginia in Charlottesville, where VMDO is located. You have offices in Charlottesville and in D.C. It looks to me like you were squarely on the liberal arts humanities track at UVA and then took a left turn into architecture. And VMDO has been your professional home since then. What was the impetus for that shift in, in career focus for you? It really was accidentally walking into the architecture school studio space at UVA as an undergrad. And it was 100% a response to an environment and seeing the work. You know, people were sitting around with paper, cardboard everywhere, making little models, you know, drawings were up on the walls. And it, I just saw the activity in the space. And I was like, yes, this yes, I, this looks good. <laughs> um, so, you know, no architects in my family I mean, I had zero knowledge of what the profession entailed um, at that point, and it was just really seeing that that learning space that that did it. Um, so I started taking, you know, I did a minor in architecture in undergrad, started taking some classes. I did really love what I was doing in the liberal arts, so I chose to finish that that path in undergrad, and then, um, you know, took a year out and uh, um, working in affordable housing, and then went into the the masters of architecture program after that. VMDO has been around for a long time, more than 45 years by my count. Rob, tell us a bit about the firm. From what I've read, it seems like a very values-driven place. You talk a lot about culture, about engagement with the community, which seems like a good alignment with working in the education space. Just give us a primer on, on VMDO, if you can. It started in 1976, and uh, the myth is that uh, VMDO actually started at a cocktail party. Our founding principal, Robert Vickery, 
was there talking to other professors about how difficult it was to practice architecture and teach architecture and keep keep those in balance and uh, apparently was challenged that you know it wasn't possible to have a successful practice in architecture and be a successful educator and he said i'll take that challenge so he apparently grabbed three of his most ambitious uh, graduate students and uh, created an architecture firm and they worked out of his basement and cut off jeans and uh you know just <laughs> somehow figured out how to create an architecture firm actually the first project that we had was a k-12 uh, school project uh, so it's deeply ingrained in our dna and we like to think of ourselves still as a, as a teaching practice, as a place where young architects come to learn and grow. And we focus very much on the development of our staff and bringing mission-minded people to the firm and developing a, you know, a really strong culture around shared values. We're now a you know, firm of 75, more than 75 people, two offices, uh, headquarters here in Charlottesville and then an office in DC. And I would say most of our work is regional in the Mid-Atlantic, but we work all over. We're working in Miami uh, right now. We've done work in Wyoming. We just designed a school in Seoul, South Korea. So we're working uh, nationally and internationally now. And we have three practice areas, higher education, athletics and community, and then our K-12 practice. Maria, the MDO talks a lot about student-centered spaces and being student-centered is a good practice in a lot of different aspects of education, you know, from pedagogy and curriculum and even things like discipline policy. Before we get into the alignment with adolescent development specifically, which is our, the main focus here, just talk to me a little bit about how you all think about or approach the designing of physical space to influence and support the learning and development experience for students of all ages. Just talk, tell us a little bit about that philosophy or approach. A lot of it has to do with educating ourselves about whatever particular age group we are, or developmental stage we're talking about for a specific project. So it takes a long time to design a building, um, and there are just thousands and thousands of decisions involved. And so we're never going to have a peer-reviewed study that tells us what to do for each one of those decisions, you know, as much as, as like we feel like we want one. So it's really about an image of the person, whether it's an, you know, a three-year-old or, you know, a 13-year-old or a 23-year-old who's going to be in the space and just having this, this you know, research-based and experience-based image of who those people could be, what they're dealing with in terms of growth and development, what their potential is, the nature of their relationships with the students, the other children or adolescents around them or to the, to the leader educator is and, you know, how much autonomy they need you know, access to what kinds of resources is going to be meaningful for them. It's really understand the image of that person and, and hold them and carry them with you as you, you know, sit down at your desk each day and make, like you say, creative and, and very technical decisions. And VMDO, as you mentioned, works up and down the education curriculum. When you consider the developmental needs of young adolescents, you know, on this podcast, we talk a lot about things like identity and self-discovery, sense of community and belonging, a sense of agency, voice. What are some examples of how you've shaped the design of physical space to fit those specific aspects of adolescent development? You know, we recognize that we're architects and, you know, a building is never going to 
replace an engaged student or an inspired teacher or an involved parent or a supportive community, but we do believe that buildings matter. It's not neutral. And we've all been in, in places where, you know, the building is a negative, you know, influence on our experience. And those are pretty easy for us to, to bring to mind. But the opposite is also true, that uh, buildings, spaces in which we're learning can also support and enhance uh, that learning experience and the, the goals of the instruction curriculum and overall uh, experience of the learner. And so that's really what we're trying to do. And for us, it really begins with a, a deep engagement uh, with as broad a group of stakeholders as possible. And really trying to understand, like Maria said, you know, what is their experience? What are their needs? Uh, what are their goals and aspirations? But when it comes to adolescence, we do know a little bit about kind of brain science and, and development. I worked a few years ago on a competition designing a classroom in the future. And I was working with 16 or 18 sophomores and juniors in high school at the Napa New Tech High School. And we did a love-hate exercise where we Ask them, you know, tell us about a learning environment that you loved, and then tell us about a learning environment that you hate. They described an early learning or K-1 classroom as the environment that they loved. And then when we dug deeper into that, it was an institutionalized version of home. Uh, they felt a strong connection with a trusted adult. They spent a lot of time outdoors. There was a variety of activities, a variety of different learning environments and the learning was very experiential. There were living things for them to care for, the gerbil in the classroom and all these things. And they loved learning. And to a student, the environments that they hated were middle school and high school classrooms. You know, the computer lab with all the fixed furniture, uh, the space where everybody's in rows facing forward and the teacher is in a command and control, you know, posture. And, you know, for me, it was incredibly powerful moment because I realized like we are designing out the love of learning <laughs> for students. And I think that really limits their uh, potential as lifelong learners. It's everything from how do we break down a large learning environment into smaller learning communities where students can feel connected to a group. And there's some really great research out there that says you know, our tribes are somewhere around 125 to 150 people. And once we get beyond that, we start to lose track of people. We don't really know them uh, in a personal way. So it's, you know, breaking down and organizing the learning environment all the way down to like providing a variety of furniture and equipment within a classroom so that students can choose the kind of learning posture and the space that makes them most comfortable for their learning. In adolescent, you got a boy that's four foot three and a, a girl who's six foot two. And there's such a variety of sizes and shapes and types of people that we're sticking them all in the same hard plastic chair and the same rigid desk. But there's a kid that needs to get up and move in order to be able to learn. There's a kid that needs to sit down and really focus in order to be able to learn. It's that whole range of decision-making that Maria was talking about that uh, can really support that adolescent learner in that critical developmental phase. 
Maria, we talk a lot in the in the early adolescent period about this notion of like as I mentioned self discovery and and a lot of that is around experience and experiential learning and having spaces that sort of you know, foster that um, the, the sense of belonging and connectedness. You divide the 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 space up in in ways that that, that sort of foster those kinds of things. So t- talk about some of those those connections of, of space and some of those developmental pieces. You know, the learning communities, um, you know, collections of classrooms where, you know, they have shared common spaces, shared resources. We definitely see over and over resources as social condensers, right? It's like, is there is there a snack cart or is there a printer that I'm allowed to use? Um, you know, things like that really do bring people together. So it's, it's that little village of classrooms that, you know, at that scale of 100, 125, 150 students, um, you know, putting an adult's office, um, maybe not an educator, but another staff person, um, someone from student services within that community so that there's an adult there that um, is available to approach. And, you know, I think we hear again and again about feeling known being so important to students of this age. So if there's an adult there who, you know, knows that they are there to be connected with each student and to be that person who is there for them and um, can be gone to outside of the classroom as well. It's about the people who are there, the resources that are there, and creating the kind of informal spaces where students can have those um, interactions with each other and with, with teachers there are even kind of interesting things about the nature of these informal spaces. Um, just came across a really interesting study looking that used machine learning to um, analyze patterns of inhabitation in plaza spaces. And an age distinction emerged where younger people, adolescents, they wanted to be able to sort of climb up a little bit on, you know, some big steps or if there were features that were accessible that were above three feet and being able to kind of look down and watch the action. But there was also this cycle where, you know, they they wanted to be able to move back and forth to, you know, sort of be down at the focus area that everybody's watching and then be able to move out. And so I think, you know, designing spaces that are tuned to this kind of fluid experience, they want to be able to choose. Am I in the limelight? Am I in the audience? Or maybe I just need to go off stage for a little bit. I think it's that that sort of continuum of social engagement or social intensity to the, the informal spaces is really important. I do think this is a really important age. I mean, this is important at every age, but I do think this is a really important age where we support young people in their health and wellness. But even just things like physical activity, uh, healthy eating, opportunities to to recharge and uh, reflect, uh, and building those into our environment. So, um, you know, DMDO has written, uh, working with researchers at UVA and uh, University of Nebraska, uh, physical activity design guidelines for school architecture and healthy eating design guidelines for school architecture. Um, and those are some relatively simple and research-backed uh, approaches uh, just to help you know, students be a little bit healthier so that they can you know, really focus on, on their learning. Um, I think another thing that we're trying to do, again, in this uh, time when students are trying to find themselves, um, is really put learning on display and, and create opportunities for uh, exposure uh, to career pathways, to learning opportunities, right? In a lot of schools, you've got corridors and you've got classrooms and there's a door in between and there might be a little skinny piece of glass where you can peek in there. 
Uh, but we're really trying to put learning on display and uh, create um, opportunities for students to discover things that they may not know or understand. So, you know, opening up that music classroom so students can see all those cool instruments that are there or that STEM or robotics space where students might discover, wow, that looks really interesting. I might want to explore that opportunity. That was Rob Winstead and Maria Beninsky from VMDO. You can learn more about VMDO online at vmdo.com or on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at VMDO Architects. Remember to look out for part two of my conversation with Rob and Maria next week on the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, where we feature conversations with researchers, practitioners, program developers, and advocates for young adolescents in the middle school years. Recently, I interviewed Ron Berger, longtime educator and program developer and now senior advisor teaching and learning for EL Education. Beginning more than 30 years ago, EL Education was born out of the outward bound model of experiential learning that centers around young people and adults building strong bonds with each other and exploring and influencing the world together rather than alone, an approach to education that has particular resonance for young adolescents. What if school were more like an outward bound trip? And on an outward bound trip, it's not about any one person's success. It's about the whole team being successful. It's about the entire group making it to the top of the mountain or out onto the ocean or down the river. And your job is not just to get yourself to the top of the mountain, it's to get all of your crewmates up to the top of that mountain. In contrast, school is kind of an individual sport. Right? Like everyone out for herself or himself or their self. Everyone is trying to get ahead and it's not your job to help anyone else. But what if school were a team sport instead of an individual sport? What if your job in school was to get every one of your crewmates and classmates into college or into successful academic career and you're all helping each other in that way? You can listen to both parts of my conversation with Ron wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for joining the Lessons in Adolescence podcast, a production of Remaking Middle School, an initiative that seeks to transform the learning and development experience for young adolescents in the middle school years. Remaking Middle School brings together good educational practice in school and out of school with the latest developmental science. You can learn about Remaking Middle School or find more resources about the topics of this podcast on the web at remakingmiddleschool.org. The Lessons in Adolescence podcast is produced by Abby Gillespie and me, Jason Cascarino. Editing by Paige Waterhouse. You can listen to or download each episode at the Remaking Middle School website, on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening.